Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. This is our show for Wednesday, June 5th. I suppose it's the Belmont Stakes edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital, your host, back with you, back from Italy. And very happy to be back and back being a part of the show. But I have to say, I really did love listening to last week's episode as a pure fan. I kind of feel like that's what I am anyway on this show. Yeah, I help with the hosting and booking the occasional guest, but it's really all about getting to pick the brains of our guests. Of course, this week I have the advantage of getting to ask questions once again, but I didn't feel I was needed because the other two hosts of this show did such a great job last week, and I'm going to go ahead and bring them in now, and we're going to start off with my usual co-pilot on so many of these in-the-money media ventures. I'm talking about the man from the planet Texas, the people's champion, Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? What's going on? I'm actually looking forward to this show because what better uh, big race than the Belmont Stakes where our horses are asked to go a mile and a half, which they're not asked to do very much. I think most people will tell you that's a pedigree thing. So I'm very excited of, of, about having the conversations surrounding um, some past Belmont winners and some, some future Belmont runners and, and how pedigree can, can affect uh, those horses when they're trying to get the 10 furlongs for the first time and most likely the last time. JK tries math fails. Get the 10 furlongs. Or get the 12 furlongs. Whichever one one comes first. Yeah, the 12 furlongs. You know what I meant. I knew what you meant. (laughs) I just couldn't resist a chance to give away a bingo square. That other voice you heard laughing in the background belongs to Windstar Farms' Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Doing fantastic, Pete. Good to have you back in the States. I hope you had a good time over in Italy. I'm sure you did. Uh, very exciting weekend. You know, it's not only do we have the Belmont Stakes, but Nairus has supplemented all of, uh, the the rest of the card to have other major stakes races like the the Matt Handicap and and the Just the Game and and some very exciting uh, almost Breeders' Cup esque type races. And so uh, excited for the weekend to be here. It, it feels like the, the start of summer, and uh, it's uh, and it's, it's an exciting time and and looks like a, a great race card that's been drawn as always. It is a mini Breeders' Cup. I think that's a very accurate description. I know I'm pumped to get out there. You guys were joking on one of the shows. I don't know if it was the Pedigree show or one of the other shows last week about me being over in Italy and hankering to get to a racetrack. And it is true that I did briefly have the conversation with Susan when we were in Milan and drove by. You know, we were on the way to the to the Duomo or something, and I did see the sign for San Siro. Let me just say that idea got vetoed real quick. I can only imagine. I can see how that conversation uh, was was shot down quickly. We only had two days in Milan. That was part of the problem. I think, you know, if we'd had three and a half, I think I probably could have gotten there and uh, checked out that uh, legendary Ippodromo, as they say over there. Sean, before we bring in our guests, I just want to follow up real quick on that idea that JK already brought up about the Belmont Stakes and pedigree being a... a reason, a separator for horses who can maybe get 10 furlongs but not get uh, 12 furlongs. As a guy in the breeding business, is that the way you look at it? And are there any horses in particular in this year's Belmont you think are going to be particularly suited to that test from a breeding perspective? Yeah, uh, as far as the breeding perspective of it, um, certainly that comes into play quite a bit. Um, And I do think in recent years, especially for – 
you know, styers that are out there currently that are established. Tappet's been been quite successful at at getting horses that that uh, that get the trip there, that can carry their speed uh, that far at Belmont. Uh, certainly, that's the Seattle Slough Line, and we all know, you know, himself was a Triple Crown winner, and AP Indy, his son, uh, was also a Belmont Stakes winner. So certainly. Uh, there's some specific American fire lines that uh, have really dominated uh, this race in particular, but um, certainly the breeding comes into play, but uh, uh, they do have to have that speed and that talent to carry, carry that out, even though they're bred for, for the two-turn uh, 12 furlongs. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about the Belmont as the show goes on, but now it's time to bring in our first guest. And now I'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Airwaves, the manager of nomination sales at Coolmore America, Adrian Mansur Wallace. Adrian, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, there's so much that we want to talk to you about. We've got the Belmont Stakes coming up this weekend. I know co-host Jonathan Kinchin has some questions specifically about that. But I want to start by talking about Galileo and this remarkable performance uh, by the sire last weekend looking at racing around the world. How can you put this accomplishment, this level of dominance into perspective based on your time in the breeding industry? Um, it's a, a very good question and a question I've been thinking about because I, I presume you're going to answer or ask this. I'm, I was trying to think about a, a a relatively intelligent answer for you, and the only <laughs> one I can come up with is that we've we've you know we've never seen. I mean, obviously we we were we were lucky lucky enough to stand Sadler as well. We've been lucky enough to to stand uh, Dane Hill at our farm in Ireland, and his son Dane Hill Dancer. But Galileo has really taken it to to a new level. Uh, what he achieved on the race course himself. Coming from the family, uh, obviously it needs no introduction. Being out of an arc winner in in urban sea, but having the success he's had uh, all around the world. I mean, obviously primarily on turf, but from you know he, he gets good two year olds, he gets good three year olds, he gets good older horses, good milers, uh, good mile and a half horses. I mean, he's just he is the epitome of of a of a world class stallion, and, and one that obviously we uh, are very very lucky to stand. I mean, his his influence. Um, around the world and um, what he's done for, for the Coolmore brand has been you know, second to them. There's a few different ways of looking at the stat regarding the dominance, particularly last weekend and looking at the composition of the Derby field. Is there one particular lens of looking at it that impresses you more of the others in terms of the overall accomplishment? Um, I think, you know, having... 12 of the 13 runners in, in the Epsom Derby last weekend were, <laughs> were direct descendants of, of, of his. And then, uh, and then the 13th had a, had a very sort of very close relation. Sir Dragonette was who, who can ended up finishing fifth, um, has urban sea in his pedigree as well. So, I mean, I think it, 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 it's remarkable that it just shows how dominant a horse he is. Um, and when you take into account all the, the different entities that were racing these horses, you know, obviously it's no, no, no secret that we had um, seven runners in the race, but um, you know the Niarcus family, Sheikh Hamdan, um, Godolphin themselves were amongst the others with with uh, sons, grandsons, and great grandsons of uh, of Galileo. Last question on Galileo specifically. 
And this is more of a, a general one from somebody who uh, follows the breeding industry, obviously, but, you know, podcaster by trade, not a breeding industry guy. Is there any concern when you see this level of dominance at the top levels, when you think about the future and inbreeding uh, concerns with uh, with Galileo? Do you, do you have to think of new paths for all the horses who are going to be stallions with a similar bloodline? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think, and that's what makes horses like Caravaggio, None Never, American Pharaoh, Justify It. That's what makes these horses so valuable in that, you know, while Galileo has been ultra successful for us and while we continue to, to patronize him and, and indeed his, his sons and hopefully grandsons to come, uh, we still, you know, we're left with 50% of his offspring are generally fillies. So, and they're very good ones. And they're fillies that we are having great success with um, on the track as, and you know, uh, as, uh, as, as dams. So, you know, we need an outlet for them. And I think as we look to the future, that's where horses like, as I said, the Justifies of this world, American Pharaohs, None Nevers, and the Caravaggios, that's where this, this whole Stormcash, Scat Daddy line come, comes into comes into uh, into effect. But if you look at Galileo, the, the success he's had with such a variety of, of, of bloodlines, and you look at the dam, the dam stars of his grade one winners, he really does suit every single blood, bloodline there is. Um, especially, obviously, the Dane Hill line, which which obviously he's been crossed mo- most with because we stood so we stood Dane Hill and Dane Hill Dancer and have a lot of their a lot of their daughters as well. They never seem to know when when they're beaten. They've got a great constitution. Um, and Nader Bryan says it himself. They they put it all out in the whether they're training or racing. They seem to never know when they're beaten, and will give you a hundred percent every single time. <laughs> Sounds a lot like me. I never know when I'm when I'm beaten either. I keep digging and fighting. <laughs> when it, when it comes to uh, uh, you know, we obviously have a Belmont right around the corner. When it comes to you guys are standing two Belmont winners, not only Belmont winners, but triple crown winners in American Pharaoh and Jeff. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, maybe an update on those two and, and how they're doing and and, uh, and, and and what we can expect from them in, in uh, the coming months and coming years. And then also how important you feel like the Belmont is to the American breeding operation when it comes to, to getting a horse that can win at 12 furlongs. I think it's very important, to, you know, to answer your last question. I think it's exceptionally important, just as the Epsom Derby is and the Irish Derby is and the Arctic Triumph are uh, in Europe. These are these are true tests of a champion. Um, I mean, any horse can win over six furlongs and seven furlongs. It takes a real horse to win over a mile and a half. And while these while these races are sometimes viewed on their own as being too stamina laden, I think if you can couple a race like the Belmont with a Kentucky Derby win or a win over a mile, I think it, it really rounds out the horses. Um, now, if, you, if you've got a horse that wins a Belmont just on his own, it, then, it, then it might, might you know, point you to the fact that that, uh, that horse is too stamina-laden. But if they can combine that with, with races over a mile, I think it, it really completes the picture for you, certainly as a, uh, certainly as a um, stallion prospect. If you look at the, I mean, the long list of Belmont winners, some of the best stallions in, of, you know, AP Indy, for example, some of the best, some of the best stallions of recent memory were uh, were Belmont Belmont winners. Let's follow up on that JK question about the, the two recent Belmont winners who you've been associated with, uh, American Pharaoh and Justify. What's the latest on how either of them are doing? Both doing great, you know. It's, it's uh, all these guys at the moment. They were they're coming to the end of their. I mean, Justify's coming to the end of his first season. American Pharaoh's coming to the end of his, his fourth breeding season. They are winding things down now. Things are getting pretty pretty quiet. So they'll have pretty much two months off, and then they'll be uh, 
both are slated to go down to our farm in uh, in the Hunter Valley in Australia for the second half of the year for the Australian breeding season. Uh, both of them have come out of the breeding season very, very well. Um, Justify was incredibly well received, as you, as you would imagine. Um, we were actually just totting up his 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 numbers the other day, and he's covered the dams or producers of 71 grade one winners. So out of 70, <laughs> of his book, 71 of them are grade, either grade one winners or grade one producers, which is, and uh, I mean, it's, to give you an example, American Pharaoh in his first book covered something like 64 of those types of mares. So Justify has even take, to, taken it a, a step further. Um, and to give you an update on American Pharaoh, he has, as you, as you will have seen, he's, he's, already, he's off to a good start. He's already had two winners. Monica of Egypt for Aidan O'Brien was his first winner uh, over five furlongs in Nace about about a month ago, and it's slated to run in Royal Ascot uh, in two weeks' time, um, along with one of Wesley Ward's American Pharaohs called Maven, who uh, broke his maiden on the dirt. Um, that's also scheduled to go to, to Royal Ascot. So hopefully we'll have a bit of Royal Ascot uh, action for American Pharaoh in the coming weeks. Another one due to run actually on Friday is a horse trained by Edna O'Brien called Hong Kong, who is a brother of Caravaggio. So that's a, a one with a, a big pedigree and, and one to look forward to. Wanted to to, to go back and, and kind of touch on, on Galileo and his dominance. And uh, certainly a horse like that, you're always looking for, for a son of his. Uh, I know that uh, in Coolmore, Ireland, uh, certainly there's several options there for sons of his. But do you think he's a horse that uh, now that, that, that people have kind of found the right mix for him and, and he has that 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 dominance and, and there's a little bit more um, possibly American breeders that are breeding to him. Is he a horse that you think can can come over and, and will have a son that could possibly come to America and, and possibly stand here and, and, and carry on his legacy here or could come could, could he produce a good dirt horse you think? We always like to think he could. He could. Uh, that's that's been the one the one uh, you know the one thing that's missing from his from his repertoire is a, is a real a real good dirt horse. It all depends on the, the type of types of mares really that go to him. And at this stage of his career, you know, he he kind of he's a, he's a victim of his own success really. You know, if you look at the at the mares that go to him, they're pretty much the the cream of the crop in terms of of grass mares. We don't get a lot of you know the we've tried him with a few of our own, say rags to riches. It, it hasn't really worked out. Not to say it wouldn't happen or couldn't happen, but you know the way turf racing is going in this in this country in particular and how how uh, Certainly, with the Naira program and how well turf racing is 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 viewed amongst the betting public and how how popular it's getting, um, I think you know it, it's only a matter of time before we see a, a real top class son of of um, of Galileo come over here and, and and stand and be successful. I thought you know. And then when they're when they're when you have a successful horse over here, a successful stallion over here, they're just more more likely to get the better turf, the better dirt mares, and then that itself then will lead to to, to su- some success on the dirt. Adrian, I got to ask you. One of our uh, good friends, Marshall Graham, has a, a has an equine crush from a Steyer standpoint on looking at Lucky. Can you provide an an update for looking at Lucky? Also, his other crush is Munnings. So, anything you can offer us about looking at Lucky or Munnings, I'm sure that Marshall will will appreciate hearing about those two. Um, well, two two very two horses who are couldn't really be uh, be doing any better at the moment. Uh, looking at Lucky is a horse that. Um, obviously, coming off the back of you know somewhat controversial Kentucky Derby win for Country House, and uh, but a, and a very dominant end of career for for Accelerate. I think looking at Lucky, he's been a a horse that we're 
we were very proud to stand. It took him a while. You know, he was he was an ultra consistent racehorse. Uh, son of Smart Strike, the first Smart Strike we we stood. Um, but a horse that that really was in his with his first couple of crops. While he did very very well, he still he struggled to get that first Group One winner. Um, but the fact now that that accelerators come along and that, that country has come along, I think it takes him into another another level. He's booked full again for 2019, um, and I'd say you know that the best is yet to come. Certainly with him, Munnings is ultra consistent. Um, he's uh, he's good filly for uh, Ellen J Foxwoods, uh, trained by Ben Colebrook. Fancy dress parties running on on Saturday in, in Belmont, so we'll see how she does. But he's he's coming off a, a very good meet at Keeneland. Um, Lady Pauline winning um, first time out for Wesley Ward, and she's going to go to uh, Royal Ascot as well. So he's a he's a very versatile horse. Both of them are quite versatile horses, actually dirt and turf. Um, and I, you know they're, they're both they're horses that are hard to find at the moment, in that they're well priced. Both stand for twenty thousand. You know they're not necessarily very expensive horses, but can get you get get you real good runners. One more question before we let you get on with your day. As horse players, of course, we're looking over this Belmont Stakes card. We called it a mini Breeders' Cup card earlier in the show. And we're looking for winners. We're trying to uh, dope out value horses, et cetera, et cetera. From your point of view in your uh, in your job in the business, Adrian, when you're, when you're looking at the Belmont card, what are you most excited to see uh, either through the lens of your professional career or just as somebody who follows racing as closely as you do? I'm just excited to see. I mean, is it, how many group ones is it on Saturday? Is it six, seven, or eight? I mean, just it, it, it's one after another. I mean, it's like a mini a mini Breeders' Cup. So I think um, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see how Francie Dress Party comes. Uh, hopefully she gets a good track, uh, good track this time for uh, Ben Colebrook and Ellen J. Foxwoods. I think she was ultra impressive there. Uh, here in in Keeneland, well, I think it was the was it the what did she was it the Group Two was it the Bourbon she won? Am I wrong? It was the uh, the, the Beaumont, right? Beaumont, Beaumont, the Beaumont, the Beaumont. Yeah, that was it. So I'm really excited to see her run. I think you know, I think she's a very very excited exciting filly. She's undefeated. She won't be a big prize on Saturday, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her on a good track. Um, and then I'm interested to see if War of Will can can stay the can stay the Derby trip. I think he's probably the the three-year-old that 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 most excited me so far this year, and I'm uh, being very interested to see can he can he get it done on Saturday. I think his probably main danger is the Joe Montorce. Um I think he'll he'll give him he he'll, he certainly will have no no problem staying out of the trip. We see it very similarly, Adrian. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. No problem, guys. My pleasure. And now I'd like to bring in the owner of West Bloodstock, Jacob West. How are you today? I'm doing good, guys. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, indeed. We do have Sean and JK here. We'll get to them in a minute. But I wanted to ask you, I heard you were pretty active at the recent OBS April sale, and there was a Liam's map in particular I know you uh, you fancied. I wanted to hear a little bit more about this purchase. Yeah, he was um, kind of the, the candy of our eye down there at the sale. Um, the horse breeze dynamite and then uh got across the track impeccably well and then when you went back to the barn to look at him you just kind of started thinking big uh big saturdays uh were ahead for this horse um so luckily when i put the horse to mr and mrs Lowe, they got it you know just as excited about the horse as i did um and it all kind of a plan kind of quickly came together and uh 
and yeah, we ended up uh, being able to secure him. So we're pretty excited about it. I imagine this horse is going to go to, I'll let you, I won't guess. I'll let you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's at Todd's dad's right now. So <laughs> I think it's, uh, once you get sent there, you're basically in prison um, and you don't get to escape unless you go back over to Todd. So now he, he'll go to Todd. Uh, we've had a, we've had a pretty good string of luck here recently with Todd and uh, kind of a, an introduction that was made through me, you know, with the Lowe's and Todd and, and, uh, and it's worked out really well for us here recently as of late. So yeah, he'll go to Todd and, uh, you know, Todd trained Liam's map obviously. And Todd came in for one day at the sale, inspected some horses with me and kind of gave me the, uh, the thumbs up when we saw him. So, you know, if you can get uh, his opinion on a horse and, uh, and it aligns with, you know, something you're feeling too, it just gives you that much more confidence to go after him like that. So. I'd imagine that you're pretty excited this weekend about uh, the Belmont Stakes, and we'll get to that in a second. But I got to tell a quick story and then ask a question. The first time Jake and I met, you, I bummed a ride back to, to to Lexington with him, and we're sitting in the car, we're just talking about racing. It was Breeders' Cup weekend, and I and I told him my elaborate plan to try to beat Serengeti Empress in the Breeders' Cup juvenile Phillies. <laughs> and then we we get to talking, and then he's like, "Oh, I bred that horse." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> sorry." <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Serengeti Empress and, and kind of where she came from in, in terms of of, uh, of that mating and and, uh, and your excitement about her running in the acorn this weekend. Yeah, no, I mean, she uh, it's kind of a, a wild story how this whole thing came about. But uh, back when Alternation was on the track, I was at Pimlico when he ran in the Pimlico special. And just to be 100% honest with you, he walked into the paddock I thought he looked like a man amongst boys. I thought he was one of the most like beautiful horses I'd ever seen. Obviously had a lot of respect for him, you know, with his pedigree and then his looks and then his race record, it all kind of came together, but he was a horse that just kind of stood up, you know, was stuck in the back of my mind um, from that day. And then when he retired to stud, uh, went out and syndicated the horse they were selling outside shares I was with my father-in-law in San Antonio, Texas um, we were st- sitting in the airport, I can tell you what bench we were sitting on and we were just having a discussion of what the future looked like and uh, kind of said to him like, you know, you should get in the horse business you should get involved and you know, he was kind of telling me how he had some discretionary income you know, that he could kind of throw in some different things. And I said, you know, there's this horse and this is kind of throwing you in the deep end, buying a share in this horse. But I think this horse is well valued and he was a hell of a race horse, et cetera, et cetera. And told him everything that I loved about the horse. And he kind of basically said to me right then and there, like, I trust you, let's go ahead and do it. So locked him in, bought him a share and alternation, explained to him that we were going to need to go buy a mare. Um, he gave me a very conservative budget to try to go buy him a mare. Um, <laughs> I bought him a young Bernardini maiden filly um, that was kind of one of the Darley Coles, but she was a nice, pretty mare. And she had a couple things that you pick on her about. Bought him the mare. Said, "All right, man, now you're now you're fully involved. You own a share. You own a mare. Let's do this mating. Let's do this whole thing." We did the mating. Uh, we tried to sell. Serengeti Empress's mom in full carrying Serengeti Empress. Uh, we bought her back. Uh, she didn't meet her reserve. But we bought her back, and it's probably been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to us <laughs> outside of We were the geniuses that ended up selling the mare uh, afterwards, and there's an even funnier story that goes along with that that involves my mother-in-law. Um, 
and I basically to sum up that story, I haven't talked to my mother in law since the first Friday in May. But uh, outside of that, um, it's uh, it's kind of a long story. But yeah, we ended up breeding uh, breeding an Oaks winner, and uh, and it, it all kind of came together because he had faith in me, and we took a shot, and you know what, it worked out for us. That's a great story, Jacob. I wanted to. Uh, bring up uh the other interest you have on on saturday intrepid heart a horse that uh winstar bred and um and your thoughts on him and and maybe your thoughts on the rest of the field here but uh certainly he's by tappet who's had great success in the in the belmont and uh out of a touch gold mare and uh, who who had commissioner who just barely missed by a nose there by a tappet horse in the belmont but what's your uh thoughts on intrepid heart going in here 10 to 1 on the morning line uh, maybe flying a little bit under the radar due to a little little uh, gate issue he had maybe in the last, but uh, what are your thoughts going into the weekend? Yeah, no, I mean, he uh, from the day I signed the ticket down at OBS April uh, for this horse, um, you know, we had, you know, this Saturday kind of in the back of our minds. Um, he was a May foal down there. We bought him, and uh, luckily the Lowe's are one of the most patient owners in the game, and they gave the horse plenty of time to grow up and, kind of come into himself on uh, the plan that we hatched last April has kind of come together. Um, and, you know, being, like you said, being by Tappet out of a touch gold mare, we knew distance was never going to be an issue for him, but he's walking into a race against nine other horses that uh, seem like they're all kind of trending and training in the right direction. Um, you know, you don't really hear a lot of the rumors or the whispers right now that one horse is backing up or one horse isn't doing real well. It, I was telling my wife last night, it kind of seems like everybody's coming into it with good form and, and uh, it's going to be a hell of a race. But he's a nice horse. We've thought a lot of him um, ever since we bought him and he kind of started showing us uh, what he had under the hood down at uh, J.J. Pletcher's place before he got to Todd. And then when he got to Todd, it's just been one of those deals that he just kind of kept showing us that he had ability, had ability. Um, and, you know, he's he's coming into the race, training well, doing well. Like you said, in the Peter Pan, he kind of bobbled at the start there. And he lost kind of what the game plan was. It was for to have him up a little bit close. Um and closer than he was. And then Johnny just basically said when he was kind of turning for home, he wasn't in a, in a good spot and he was looking around and he was still very green and uh, he ended up getting up for third. But it, that was a little disappointing, obviously, because we were the heavy favorite, but we think it might propel him to go forward and uh, have a good effort um, in the, in the Belmont stakes. Jake, I'd, I'd imagine that you were involved in the conversation with Todd, uh, about adding the blinkers can you can you share with us a little bit uh todd's perspective of that that phone call of, of how that went when that decision was made yeah i mean actually when he broke his maiden at oakland in his first start i mean he won by i think it was seven links or something like that i mean impressively but johnny came back and one of the first things he said to me was like hey man you know this horse won impressively you know first time starter but he was still kind of like you know, really green and not really knowing what was going on. And if you go back and watch the replay, I mean, he had his ears up and they were just kind of twiddling around. He didn't really know what was happening. And then we roll right into Keeneland and he won again, um, kind of got up late um, and got past high crime there in the final kind of hundred yards. But Johnny said the same thing, came back and was like, man, we got to get blinkers on this horse. You know, that, that he's still, you know, is showing me that he's still a little green, 
So going into the Peter Pan, there was a brief discussion on, you know, throwing them on before then. But Todd said to me, like, I mean, we're two for two. How do we make an equipment change when we won both of our races? We can't do that. Um, and then, I mean, the horse didn't even pass the wire. And 100 yards past the wire, Todd looked at me and said, yeah, we need to throw some shades on this guy because he's, he's never really done that in the morning. But when he gets into his races, I mean, third start at Belmont, kind of a big, racetrack i think he just kind of got lost out there and didn't really know what was going on um but he's put him on now he's had two works since he's had him on now and johnny and todd both seem to believe that it's kind of kept him a little bit more focused that's tremendous insight thank you for sharing the way that process works i think that'll be eye-opening for a lot of horse players before we let you go i have another question jonathan's gonna think i'm just busting his shoes but this is actually a serious question when you hear guys like me and JK who come at this from the horse player side and we're giving our outsider opinions, sometimes in informed outsider opinions, sometimes not so informed outsider opinions, as somebody so close to these animals who lives with it every day, how do you take it when you hear somebody like uh, like JK formulating his plan to beat your filly? <laughs> Listen, it's kind of one of those things you can't get on Twitter and read the comments. <laughs> I think if, uh, if that was the case, you'd be going crazy every day. Um, but no, it's it's everybody's got their opinion. I think that's what kind of makes the world go around and makes our game great. Um, you know, if if everybody's entitled to what they believe, they should be able to say it. You know, and and uh, you can't let it affect you. You can't really you you. You know, I know more about my horse than anybody else, but when I hear other people say, you know, stuff that's just completely false, I just kind of laugh at it. Um, but a lot of the times I got to listen to, you know, JK. He's put me in some good spots and helped me <laughs> cash some tickets. So uh, <laughs> when, 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 that's, when that's the case, you know, we got to, I got to listen to him. So, uh, but it's been good. You know, I just feel bad for you because I'm an avid listener to this podcast. And I know you've been talking last time you were talking to, to Jonathan Thomas, you were telling me about how you'd seen him in his pajamas, and I still wonder uh, what if you're still seeing a psychologist because of all that. Uh... <laughs> somebody made the meanest joke. Somebody made the meanest joke on Twitter, and I'll and I'll, I'll just have to repeat it now because it came up again. They, they said pajamas. Don't you mean a onesie? Very mean. Very yeah. very mean <laughs> comments. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when, when when the Keeneland September sale rolls around here, my house turns into Animal House between Jonathan Thomas, John Panagod, Michael McCarthy, and Aaron Wellman. I mean, my wife just goes to get the hotel um, and gets out of town. Uh, but we're we've all we all like to bust on each other and stuff. But when I heard that, I just I just immediately felt sorry for you um, that you've had to live with that man. Uh, you, you deserve a special place in heaven whenever oh. that time comes. That's very, very kind of you to say. Jacob, thank you so much for taking time out today. We're going to have you on again very soon, and Godspeed this weekend, my friend. Appreciate it, guys. You guys do a hell of a job. Keep it going. you got to spread the word on this good industry, and you guys are doing your part, so we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right, J.K. had to drop off right there at the end of Jacob's interview, but man, Sean, I don't know about you, but not only was he a great guest, not only do we have you know a series of great guests on this show, but what kind words there at the end, that's got to make you feel good as somebody kind of sticking your neck out on a limb here as an industry person, getting involved and taking extra time out of your week to do a podcast. Well, certainly um, those great kind words, but uh, I think a lot of us, uh, especially our generation, Jacob and mine and Adrian's, 
you know, there's been a lot of negative publicity and, and it's, yes, there's some of it's found and, and some of it's quite unfound. And, and overall, this is a fantastic industry that is uh, made up of people who love horses and wake up every day to, to take care of those horses. And, and the word needs to get out there because it's, it's a game that, uh, that young people should enjoy. You know, it's, uh, you can go to the racetrack and have a great time, whether it's betting horses or, or other events that they have at the racetrack. So, um, anytime we can get people like Adrian and Jacob and, and get them on here and, and get it out there and, you know, just try to get new fans, new people for the industry. It's, it's a great business, as you said. That's the idea. Now, JK and I did a whole show about the Belmont Stakes, but I can't let you get out of here without giving us a couple of thoughts. I don't know if you had a chance to look at the entirety of the Belmont card yet, but I'll ask the general question. Is there anything here from a betting point of view you're particularly interested in? And I've got to hold your feet to the fire for a selection in this year's Belmont Stakes. Well, certainly looking at the whole card, you're, you're pretty excited for it. And, um, you know, some, some of the staples that we look forward to every year, the, the Metropolitan Handicap, that's going to be a fantastic older horse race. Uh, the Woody Stevens being a great one this year is lined up to be a fantastic three-year-old race. You know, starting to see some of those horses who were on the Triple Crown Trail and maybe didn't want to stretch out that far and now cutting them back and, and um, seeing those horses. And certainly my Belmont pick, I've been a huge spinoff fan for quite some time. And... Um, and I think both Intrepid Heart and Tacitus are both probably the two to beat, being by Tapa and, and wanting that distance. But uh, I'm going to take the horse that ran dead last in the go form. Reminds me, I, I, I did well on Palace Malice, so I, I like that profile. <laughs> Fair enough. That seems conspicuous, and you're not mentioning War of Will. Do you have a specific knock there, or is this more of just a price concern? I think War Will, obviously, is a very good horse. He's uh, going to be one of the few that, if not the only, that's going to be running in all three Mitchell Crown races. Um, he definitely has the profile as well to, to run extremely well. It's more of just taking a, taking a, a price play and, and trying to beat the favorites. Fair enough. All right, Sean, thank you so much for your continuing contributions to this show. Also going to thank J.K. and, of course, today's guests, Adrian Manser-Wallace and Jacob West. Terrific contributions to the program. We're going to keep this show rocking and rolling, really looking forward to getting to see not only listeners, but a bunch of uh, breeding industry types out there at the racetrack this weekend. What are your plans? When are you, when are you getting into town? Do you have uh, your, your dinner reservations all set? What do you, what do you re- as a New York person who left, what do you look forward to doing when you get back to the city? Food, mainly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, uh, it's always fantastic to go back to New York. Uh, it's a great city. Obviously, great food. Going to be great racing. Um, I'll land with my feet on the ground Thursday night and be on the backside Friday morning. Races Saturday and back in Lexington Sunday. So it'll be a quick trip. Uh, won't be as much fanfare as there was last season with it, but uh, we'll be a, hopefully a fantastic day of racing and, and really looking forward to it. All right, you thought I already asked you the tough question when I put your feet to the fire about the Belmont, but now it gets real, Sean. Favorite pizza in New York? There's a place outside Fordham called Pugsley's, so I'm going to give that the, uh, <laughs> my favorite. Go Rams, baby. Go Rams. All right, Sean. Thank you so much. We thanked everybody already, except we forgot to thank all of you, the listeners, who make this show so much fun to do. This new show has definitely 
brought in uh, a little bit of a different, a uh, little bit of a different crowd. We still have plenty of horse players in the mix from the comments I'm seeing, but it's also great to have industry folks listening and supporting us and helping us by coming on the show, etc. We appreciate it. That's why we do the show. Really, at the end of the day, as we were talking about before, to sort of spread the word about what really goes on in this industry, and it's not what you're necessarily going to see uh, in some of the headlines. Let's put it that way, and we'll leave it there. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way. (laughs) 